2: 18 plus.
3: How exactly did Perez win in Monaco? How did Leclerc lose from a controlling position? And could Sainz have won with his daring straight-to-slicks strategy? Let's find out. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee. This is the Autosport Podcast. Well, two red flags over an hour delay at the start, and hopefully two of F1's finest live from somewhere in Monaco, having dried out to join me on the podcast today to answer those questions and a lot more as well. Joined by uh, Luke Smith and Stuart Codling as well. Where do you get to watch the Monaco Grand Prix from, by the way?
4: Nowhere that glamorous, as, as with all the other races. You're in the media centre, which uh, a lot of people don't really know. Like You've not like, got this amazing view of the track or anything, A uh, majority of them, it is kind of like a big classroom lots of screens up with various Mm -hmm. bits of data and world feed and whatever but the uh window next to our desks which were uh, saved by one of our colleagues very early on thursday morning uh overlooks uh, la rascasse so you could basically see all the cars coming through there so it did mean when we uh, hurriedly needed a picture for the uh to uh, talk about the red flag for the rain delay our colleague alex kalnor was able to run over and get a snap some expert photography um from alex there yeah, it's one of, those, uh, one of those things with the job that you know,
5: it's not like you're watching it from the peak of turn one or anything yeah. like that. And hugely uncomfortable chairs as well. I it's... don't want to be one of those people that moans, but. Um, but you're going to be. I, I, I just, well, I've started, so I'll finish. Second only to the funny little footstools of Le Mans in terms of uh, uncomfortableness, I describe them as almost vindictive in the assault on your posterior.
2: We
3: have tens of thousands of people listening to this who really have no sympathy for you on a, a free trip to Monaco. So,
5: should we also dig into the, the the greed and venality of some of the other people in the press room? Because our, our hosts kindly lay out a selection of cheese rolls and cheese and ham rolls, but when when the cardboard box containing these things are placed out. There is the most incredible stampede. You know, like that bit in The Lion King where there's the Horde of Wildebeest stampede? It's like that for the sandwiches. And you see these people moving away from the scene of the crime. And it is a crime. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) it is a crime. They come away with armfuls of sandwiches. So those of us who've been actually, dare I say it, concentrating on our work rather than keeping at least one eye on the comestibles table, uh, go without. So this morning we stopped off at a hypermarket so that we could get our lunch in early and avoid the rush. This concludes my complaint about the Monaco press room
3: Sergio Perez won the 2022 Monaco Grand Prix ahead of Ferrari's Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen finishing off the podium early leader Charles Leclerc coming home fourth once again victory at home evading him George Russell for Mercedes in fifth Lando Norris in sixth and we'll work our way down the finishing order as we get on through the podcast so one of the questions we want to ask is how Perez won that Race, And we'll get into some of the details at the start and the delay and all those things in a moment from what was it looked comfortable watching on TV, a comfortable lead for Leclerc. Can you explain how Red Bull strategy did that, Luke? Or is it a case of how Ferrari strategy let down Leclerc and he didn't even finish on the podium today?
4: Yeah, it's definitely a bit of both. There are quite a few factors that, that played into that. Perez was the first of the lead drivers to make the switch from the wets to the intermediates. He he came in on, on lap 16. That was followed by uh, Leclerc and Verstappen. Two laps later, uh, and then Science, what he wanted to do, and he, quite early on, he made clear for I don't want to take any intermediates. So I just want to push the wets right the way through until the track is dry enough for slicks. So you had these these interesting sort of different strategies playing out between uh, between the lead drivers there. But it was uh, it was just I mean Perez coming in earlier that really really that thus swung the race massively in his favour I believe it was a 7 second swing on uh, the one of the laps that absolutely just wiped away the clerk's lead because the intermediates were absolutely the right tyre to be on and that allowed him to really carve into the advantage that the clerk had built up and uh, yeah that, that compromised the clerk massively, the clerk struggled, he, he hit traffic uh, with uh, Alex Albon on uh, one of his outlaps as well which also uh, didn't help matters but I think for Checo it was uh, it was just a really a really clever strategy from Red Bull and they? they saw the way things were going. They decided, yep, let's bring you onto the Inters. They then recognised that the track had dried so quickly you had to get onto the slicks quite soon after. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was some clever work from them. Ferrari definitely threw this away but I think that Perez and Red Bull, they recognised that they had to react quickly. They had to be on the front foot and I think they really were with that. So it uh, definitely... I think it's very different. I think the way both teams executed their races. Red Bull, it was all quite smooth, very serene, very, very clinical. Ferrari, we heard some panic setting in. Um, yeah, Charles Leclerc over the radio at one point was told, no, oh, no, stay out, stay out. And he's like, well, it's too late. I'm already in the pit lane. So it's, uh, yeah, things like that that were the difference today. But um, yeah, that early stop from Perez to get the undercut, plus Leclerc hitting the traffic, plus uh, Leclerc then have to come in for a second time in the space of four laps. It just all fell.
5: Um, Perez is way. There was a tiny element of luck uh, for Perez as well, because when he came out of the pits, uh, his first stop, he was on track behind Lando Norris, but Norris then pitted immediately afterwards, so he then ceased to to become a factor, and, and that was what contributed to Perez's swing, because he then had that empty track in front of him. Okay, help me out with
3: something, because the TV coverage was talking a lot about the overcut, in other words, pitting later than your opposition the overcut is what won it for red bull and yet all i could think of was well hang on no perez pitted two three laps earlier than the ferraris he pumped in some brilliant laps on the inters closed the gap and isn't that what won it for him or did i miss something can you help uh untangle that whole kind of undercut overcut how the strategy teams won the race today that was to beat Leclerc, but then to beat Science because what Ferrari did with Science,
4: he very early on said, as I said earlier, he he didn't want to come in to make that switch to the uh, to the intermediate. He just wanted to go all the way through to Slicks. That's something that in 2016 Lewis Hamilton did brilliantly to, to win that race, obviously helped by Ricardo's Dud pit stop. But it's a it's a known thing in Monaco that yeah you do sort of try and cut out basically a tire and and save a stop. Science very early on said I'm going to do that, so that meant that once Perez pitted, he was behind science. The science had had the advantage basically in terms of like he they both had to come in once more. Perez was obviously able to gain a lot of time because he was on the intermediate compared to Sainz who was on on the wet towards the end of that stint but the thing that hurt Sainz's race and actually he said afterwards it ended my chance of winning otherwise I I probably would have had it was that he hit traffic on his in-lap in the form of Nicolas Satifi who he he got stuck behind obviously Monaco it's very very hard to overtake even with bat markers to let another driver pass with blue flags is very very difficult and that cost him time and he, he afterwards said he that's what you reckons cost him because obviously he came out in second place and is very, very close with Perez, uh, as we saw through those closing stages. But uh, yeah, without that, Sainz, I think, had a really good shot at the win today. Um, I spoke to uh, someone who works very closely with Carlos uh, after the race and said, but is, he, is he disappointed? Is, is he frustrating? He said, well, it's not really frustration. He said, it's obviously just a case of, yeah, look, we know it's going to come at some point. This first win is going to arrive. But it is, um, yeah, it's obviously minor factors like that, particularly around Monaco, that do swing it completely. So, uh, yeah, I think that that undercut for Perez on Leclerc, that's what got him to beat Leclerc. And then for Science, it was the overcut because Sainz got stuck behind the feet that allowed per-
3: Perez to get the jump and uh, win the race. That is, makes perfect sense. It's me being slow, which is more than often uh, the case in a kind of chaotic race, a frantic start to uh, a non-start to the race um i did make uh, a note of how long i think i noted one hour nine minute delay maybe the race start was three three sixteen uh which mean four sixteen uh your time no it was it was
4: uh four oh five that we uh we got out behind the safety car for the the um formation lap and the official start so yeah an hour and five minutes behind schedule um and it was it was a combination of facts. Obviously we had the we had the rain falling and and that uh, they wanted to give time for everyone to get the get the rain ties over so they could be prepared for that start. But there was also a power outage on the grid as well that, that contributed to the uh, the delayed start that um basically impacted all of the, the, the start systems and everything like that on the grid. And that was also why we didn't have any standing restarts after the red flags in the race as well that's why we always have rolling restarts and uh, yeah it was something the FIA clarified after the race because obviously that was a big contributing factor in those delays that happened.
3: Was that caused by the rain or the fact that it's a temporary track? Did that
5: explain- uh, I, I'm not entirely sure. They on didn't hmm. give us that explanation that they that they gave us an explanation in two stages I think because they uh, randomly actually seem to care what people are saying about them, especially given that some of the um, uh, drivers were being a little bit vociferous about it. But um, not long after the, the the initial start, they explained their position that that, that there'd been a, a power outage. And then later on, they explained that basically there was, no, there was no power to the start gantry where the race director actually starts the race uh, or to the lighting gantry That um, provides the lights so the only way they could start the race uh, was to run it behind the safety car but obviously you know because there is shall we say a little bit less open communication from the FIA during the race to broadcast this year as a result of some of the the stupidities that Mm. happened um, last year Uh, uh, this wasn't made clear and you know Nature abhors a vacuum, so in, into that silence, speculation rushed in. So a lot of people were thinking, "Well, you know, they've bottled it. What's going on?" But yeah, it, it literally they 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 could not start it in the normal fashion. So the what we got was an ugly compromise but it was it was all we were going to get and then apparently later on power was restored but they then didn't want to they didn't feel confident enough in the robustness of the systems to do the 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 restart after the mick schumacher induced red flag so they started that off behind the safety car because as of the beginning of 2020 there is a stipulation in the rules that you can have a standing restart rather than a, a rolling restart but they thought they, that they couldn't rely on the systems. They, they didn't want to basically press the button and it to say computer says no, because that would be a little bit embarrassing. So just go with a safety car rolling restart is, is the safest option.
3: We did hear a bit of team radio today saying, come on, let's get this race started. Uh, these conditions are fine. What's your opinion on that from what you witnessed firsthand today?
4: Well, we're not the ones driving the cars. I think they're, they're they're the ones we have to have to ask. We're not the ones uh, risking our lives and obviously going out there. And it was, but it was it's a very valid question. It's something that I put to yeah most of the drivers in in the media pen after the race. And there was uh, yeah there, there was a mix of views. I mean, a lot of them were saying um, yeah they weren't really sure why they didn't start at three o'clock. And they said basically we could have started then and then had um, then had uh, like a few laps until the real deluge came, and that ultimately caused caused the red flag. Um, but then, a lot of others said look we know sort of how these things are and you want to be erring on the side of caution and it's sort of a safety thing and things like that so I mean Fernando Alonso he said that yeah absolutely the right call Um, George Russell he said it was yeah probably the the wisest thing to have done Um, Eduardo Freitas obviously it was his second weekend as race director in uh, Monaco and uh, yeah he's got experience bags of experience from Macau and from um, from uh, WEC as well of dealing with these situations obviously safety does have to come first so uh, yeah it was one of those things where I think, yeah, you would you would have wanted to see them go out, and a lot of them said, well, look, if, if we can't, then who can? We're the 20 finest drivers in the world. We're racing in Formula 1. So I think, uh, yeah, there was obviously that hunger to get out there and do something, but I think that, yeah, it's definitely erring on the side of caution by race control today.
5: It's probably best not left to the competitors to decide these things because <laughs> um, they're always going to say, oh, yeah, come on, let's go for it. And, and it's very easy for them to sit there in their cars and say, oh, why, aren't we, why aren't we doing these things? Things. But um, cert- certain things loom in, in the memory and the FIA's explanation was that they were monitoring this this big deluge that was about to come and there, was, th- there wasn't a great deal of certainty about when it would arrive or whether it would arrive, it, it might do a swerve around the mountains um, because, you know, Geography works how it does. If you're at the bottom of a mountain, you you can get weird weather. And Monaco is exactly that. So the weather can be a little bit unpredictable. Uh, And and what you absolutely don't want to do is set off a race giving people uh, a free choice of tyres and then for this massive great dump of rain to turn up. Uh, very suddenly, as it did, uh, because then you have chaos. So you think back to uh, the Nürburgring in 2007, which was massively chaotic. Also, um, Spartan. I'm, I'm off the top of my head. I wasn't alive at the time. I'm going to say 1966. The the colossal um, uh, dump of rain that arrived midway through the first lap um, nearly. Uh, Caused Jackie Stewart to not win world three, three world championships and become a sir, because he had to be removed from his car and um, and nearly died because he was he was so badly injured. Um, you, you you do not want that to happen. You don't want that sort of chaos to ensue because people are always wise, wise after the fact and the very people who are sitting in their cars uh, saying, were not we starting? Or the very people who, idle fingers bashing into Twitter saying, "Why aren't we starting? Would have been tremendously wise after the fact and said, why did we start? Uh, and uh, the best thing to do is to make the right decisions and not to service the, the whims and opinions of the opinionati.
3: Yeah, some of the social accounts I follow from the uh, more senior figures of the sport, perhaps uh, since retired, were doing a fair bit of back in my daying on Twitter. Uh, they would have gone racing, but you know, safety first and all that in modern Formula One. So you speak to the drivers after every race, including Sergio Perez, uh, codders uh, How was he today?
5: Well, it, he he was he was very pleased. Um, he, he was talking about champagne on the radio. He was absolutely delighted, and rightly so because, um, you know, well, this this is an argument I've had with a lot of people. Um, whenever I say you 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 don't get to win the Monaco Grand Prix uh, unless you're a very good driver, and of course, someone will usually sort of try and delve back through. The mists of time, go, mm, what about Olivier Panis or whatever? And I'll just say, Well, Olivier Panis, not an Ayrton Senna, but on that day he was brilliant and he deserved uh, the win. Uh, and you, you look at the list of drivers who've won the Monaco Grand Prix, and every one of them is either out of the top drawer in terms of talent or on that day they were brilliant. Uh, you know, Jean Pierre Beltoise in. 1972, I think, another driver, he would say, not someone out of the top draw, but on that day, brilliant in a terrible car and deserved his win. So um, Sergio Perez, I think, realises that this win is probably the, the best one of the... Um, you know, is it, is it now threes one? Not, not, not. He doesn't have a great number of Grand Prix victories to his name, but this is one he mm. earned. Uh, he drove brilliantly uh, at a very difficult circuit. Because just to just to get to the end of the Monaco Grand Prix is really hard. I think people who watch it on TV don't really appreciate just how difficult it is to be so precise and so mm. error-free for lap after lap of a very long, difficult, hard circuit.
3: If if I may, it's his easiest win because uh, the secure circuit two years ago he came from fifth uh, to win, and then in Baku last year he came from sixth to win. So to start third to win, I will say it's his easiest win. No, yeah, easiest. you
4: from a very tough bunch, I must say. Like, uh, he doesn't do things the easy way, does he, Arceco? He's uh, yeah, he's. Um, no, I think I think it's it's really good to see, and it, he's a uh, he's one of these drivers. So I think yeah, you kind of thought oh, okay, his, his ship sailed. Like he's not going to be one of these top level drivers. He had that chance at McLaren, obviously that year went mm. like, so badly, and then he was uh, yeah sort of forcing the racing point stalwart for so many years, but then actually yeah, with Red Bull, obviously the circumstances were as they were to give him this opportunity that he was basically. Dumped for Sebastian Vettel and that Red Bull basically then were like, well, do we keep Alex Alban? And again, you think Crikey, if Aston Martin had stuck with Checo and Stroll, what would Checo be doing now? He I mean he'd be yeah, he he'd be way down the order. So it's um it's really cool to see. And I think, yeah, I think today just really proved that he is he is one of those sort of yeah, he's an excellent, excellent driver. He's not a Verstappen, he's not the Clerk Hamilton level, but he deserves this kind of success and to now be only fifteen points off the lead of the drivers' championship, six behind the Clerk. That's fantastic, and I think he really can sort of yeah, he's going to be he's going to be one of these drivers. I don't know if he'll be there at the very end of this fight for the championship, but the fact he's sort of like even in range now, I think that's really really exciting for him.
3: And fifteen points behind his teammate considering that at the Emilia-Romagna event, that's when Verstappen got his, you know, mega 34-point haul. So, takes some, some of those extra circumstances out, out of it, and he's doing incredibly, you know, incredibly well. And he goes on to Baku next, where he's won, won before as well. Let's talk a little bit about form, actually, guys, if we can. Um, Red Bull versus Ferrari. In your opinion, who, uh, who was the quicker team this weekend on balance?
5: Ferrari was certainly the the quicker car in dry conditions. Um someone asked um I think Max Verstappen this in the press conference said you know where where do you think you two stack up in terms of pace? And and and, and Max said it was it's, it's quite difficult probably arguably Ferrari had the the faster package um in the dry in the wet it's harder to say because you know conditions vary you you, you drive differently. Um, Ultimately, this this should have been a Ferrari 1-2 and the fact that it wasn't will be a disappointment and it could just come back to bite them uh, in the final races of the season.
3: Is that four now? Is that four attempts? Four in a row,
5: which
4: is it's uh, right. it's going Red Bull's way right now and it's four in a row but it's also the last two Ferrari should have won they should have won in Spain Leclerc very unfortunate with that uh, power unit issue that forced him to retire and then yeah you look at this and think it's another race that Ferrari should have won and they, they threw it away they uh, let it slip through their fingers so it's these kind of races that do decide a championship you do look at events where you think okay well that should have gone this way should have gone that way Ferrari can take confidence from the fact that they've stopped the rot that I think was set in after Miami, where Red Bull clearly were a step ahead in terms of performance, I think Ferrari have now stabilised that but it's all very well having the quicker car and the better long run pace and the better package. If you can't convert that into the win on Sunday though, it's no use
3: at all. And, you know, normally we talk about the next race at the end of the Grand Prix as we wrap up but as we head towards Baku um, what are your thoughts on form and pace heading into that event between those two teams?
4: That Red Bull, the (laughs) top speed and on the straights that has been its big strong point this season obviously we've got that massive massive straight in Baku so I think that can really play to its advantage but then we saw last year how Ferrari being good through the twisty stuff sort of through that castle section and all of that that can Mm. really work in its favor and again Ferrari they had that slower speed corner advantage this weekend in Monaco so I think that again lends itself to to being good for them so I think it's going to be really close. Again, this weekend, it was such fine margins involved. I think we're just going to see that battle rage on between the two of them. But it's another track where, yeah, d- drama can happen. Crashes can happen. We saw that last year with um, Perez and Baku. And um, they they were asked about it, Perez and Verstappen, in the press conference. And um, Max was like, oh, yeah, I can't really remember what happened on the main street. I must have run out of talent or something, sort of joking it off. But it's, um, yeah, they've definitely... Uh, I think it's definitely just going to continue to rage on this battle between the two teams.
3: Let's talk a little bit about Ferrari, about strategy about perhaps the wrong decisions or maybe the right decisions at the wrong time uh, about you know, Leclerc does wear his heart on his sleeve. If he's happy or not, you'll know it. Some of that public team radio being shut down very quickly. Benotto team boss keen to keep all that behind closed doors and that discussion after uh, the event of, uh, of, of what happened to Leclerc's race today and those strategy calls. And even any of our listeners who turned off the TV coverage might not know that Ferrari... Uh, went to the stewards with a post-race protest on both Red Bull cars for a potential infringement crossing the pit lane exit line, which the cars can't do for safety reasons. You can't enter uh, the the fast lane, if you like, uh, of the cars that are are already on a lap. And the stewards batted that away to say, well, look, yeah, maybe Verstappen's edge of his tyre touched it, but the rules are that he's got to have both wheels over it and so there was an amendment to uh, some of the rules which weren't fully reflected i think as well in the um uh, in the briefing to the teams uh, this weekend a bit a cut and paste as they later clarified from the stewards from last year's I- event what's ferrari doing there is that just attack being the best form of defense knowing they got it a little bit wrong today
5: they they were clutching at straws. It was worth asking the question because cer- certainly uh, with 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 Perez um, he had a twitch coming out of the pits uh, and, and that altered his trajectory a bit. But it was much less cut and dried. Um, there was then a little bit of in-car footage shown of Verstappen having a sort of a similar moment uh, as he exited the pits, and he seemed to step a little further over. Uh, the trouble is, the the in-car footage is now no longer uh, quite so cut and dried as it was because the well, the wheels are bigger, wheels and tires are bigger. So um, I, I think you have to be a very confident of your opinion to state based on an in car whether a car has actually gone over the line. Uh so it, it's a tricky one and obviously the, the stewards looked at it and dismissed it and and Ferrari asked the question. It it was worth doing uh, as a piece of gamesmanship to my mind what it shows is not just that um Ferrari made a mistake with with their pit stops there. Their strategy unraveled. Their operations went wrong. They they panicked. You know, you got say, "Come into the pits." No doubt, coming to the pits. Whoops! Too late. There, there was an element of operational chaos there. They were try- clutching at straws to make up for it. It, it also signals maybe uh, a a ramping up of the tensions between the two teams which is you know it, we, we could find ourselves in red bull versus mercedes territory maybe we we won't see in the netflix program next year christian Hormer fulminating to quite the same extent about mattia bonotto as he complains about toto wolf but you know this this is a friendly rivalry that is becoming substantially less friendly as each race goes by
3: Uh, Sky were fortunate enough to have Christian Horner on this weekend uh, no he's never on Sky uh, no, it was nice. They managed to get hold of him uh, this weekend, and he was saying that Perez is as is as much in the hunt as Verstappen for this uh, for the world championship. Which, of course, is um, an interesting thing to say. Let, let's play a fun and utterly pointless game. So, if Red Bull were running one-two this weekend and Perez had earned that first position, do you think they would have swapped the cars around?
4: No, nope, I don't think so. No, and I, no, no I don't the, think the, so. The cynic in
3: uh, the
4: the cynic in Formula 1 and the, uh, yeah, the... uh, Oh, I mean, obviously, yeah, Max is clearly the number one there, of course. But we're so early in the season, I think after what happened in Spain as well, I think that, yeah, clearly clearly Perez was he was a step ahead of Max this weekend and I think all the way through he, Whereas he wasn't in hands. Spain so no he wasn't so no, no no no. and I agree with that I think that here he was in um yeah he was in really really good form so uh yeah I think that had they been one and two I don't think they would have done that because I think they would have realized like look as long as Max is beating Leclerc that's kind of the main thing here Checo deserved that win wholeheartedly so yeah I don't I like to think Rebel wouldn't have done that Collars, are you are you on the same page you're a little more cynical uh,
5: yeah I'm on the same page um, obviously in, in Spain the, you know Max had his random gust of wind uh, at uh, turn four that sent him off and put him at a disadvantage and, and that sort of very much handed the, uh, the, the the sort of lead as it were between the two to, to Checo with this I, I think the there's, there's no way you could say that Verstappen has been the better driver over the balance of, of the Monaco weekend. Uh, obviously, Perez did mm. bin it in Q3, which will no doubt amount to a demerit when our colleague Alex Cullinorkus comes to write his driver ratings. But we were discussing this in the car on the way back to our Airbnb and just sort of mulling over what score he might give to um, Max. And and the fact is, Max has had... Would you say that someone who finished on the podium in third place has had an anonymous weekend? By his standards, yes, he has. Hmm.
3: He seemed quite happy to be playing a supporting role today. He seemed genuinely happy for Perez. Uh, he seemed to be there almost as his wingman. Like, the roles reversed almost this weekend. Like, he seemed happy for him. Hmm.
5: Totally, and
4: that speaks to the... Right. I think they've got, they've got a really good relationship, that's the thing. Like, I mean, Max has tended to get on pretty well with, with most of his teammates in Formula 1, but I think with Checo, they're in a really good, good groove, and there's already talk about sort of like Perez for next year, Like, what's going on there. Uh, Christian Horner, he said uh, on Saturday that it would be pretty straightforward, he hoped, because Perez is performing very well. I mean after this today, like surely that's that only confirms that what what I think we know is gonna happen. Yeah, Checo's gonna get another year because it's just such a good setup there. So yeah, you can tell there's real I think there's real good good vibes between Max and Checo. Max clearly is number one. Max is the guy who's gonna be winning the titles for Red Bull moving forward. But for Checo, he's got a great chance to be be the um yeah, be the wingman, but every now and then have things turn around as they did this weekend. So yeah, I, I think he's been um he's been a really good fit for Red Bull and I think this weekend was that to an absolute T
3: a popular win today uh no question uh, half an hour in seems like a good time to have a, a quick look at the uh, the rundown of teams and drivers after the event today max verstappen leading the way on 125 points leclerc 116 then sergio Perez 110 as we've mentioned already george russell continues his fabulous points scoring we'll get on to george next actually in mercedes um with 84 points having scored a 10 a 12 and a 15 a 10 a 12 and a 15 points and then a Ten, which uh, kind of messes up the pattern. Uh, Carlos Sainz uh, a point behind eighty-three, and then Lewis Hamilton and uh, on fifty points, and Lando Norris a couple of points uh, behind uh, in terms of the constructors' championship. Red Bull extending that lead, two hundred thirty-five points ahead of Ferrari's one hundred and ninety-nine. Mercedes uh, still in thirds, you would say, because of George Russell's performances. Let's get on to Mercedes now, guys. Then, if we can, so George Russell um, fifth. Uh, leapfrogging Lando Norris, and Lewis Hamilton coming home eighth. Do you think they'll be happy with that points haul today? I know Lewis felt frustration at the time but seemed pragmatic afterwards about being stuck behind Alonso, which we'll get onto on those slow laps. Uh, But how how are Mercedes feeling coming away from monaco a track that hasn't been particularly kind to them over the years actually
4: i think they'll they'll take what they get really this weekend i mean at okay. the moment fifth and sixth is kind of the absolute maximum they're going to be getting so uh, yeah it's come away with uh, with the fifth and eighth i mean i know it's not a massive success but russell did very well to jump norris through through the the tie changes so i think that was uh, that was good the pace of the car did seem very, very good. um Yeah, as, as they sort of got into that dry, dry tyre phase for Lewis Hamilton, I think that yeah, not not a brilliant day. Obviously got stuck behind Alonso's. I know we're going to get onto, but <laughs> at the moment it's kind of yeah, just take what you can get. That's that's all they can do. Hamilton said that the bumps, uh, the bouncing, has felt worse than ever this weekend. But he said it's not down to the porpoising issue that they had before because they remedied a lot of that with the Spain updates. So I think it is just a case of how the W13 car was struggling around Monaco as you say tradition it's not been a very happy hunting ground for mercedes so uh yeah uh, look when you win eight championships in a row if you're not winning it's kind of like whether you're fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth it's like where well, it's, it's all kind of academics all the same it's not really very good compared to where you want to be so i think that's the mentality mercedes got right now they want to try and make these steps forward this weekend yeah it was a tough one for them but as lewis kept saying after the race said i just look forward to getting back to a normal track basically and then we can really see what this car is
5: like again Yeah, I mean, to to put George's achievement in context, um, we we should note that that there was a little bit of low-level complaining in the background of um, he shortcut the chicane twice and wasn't shown a black and white flag, which procedurally he should have done. But um, I I think the unfortunate thing for George was he pulled off an absolutely super overtake on Lando Norris around the pit stops, but uh, unfortunately, because... It was all kicking off between Ferrari and Red Bull at that point. Uh, that was not actually shown uh, on the main TV broadcast. You had to go to the onboards to look at it. But um, essentially, Norris only did five laps on the inters and he came in to put the hard slick tyres on um, five laps after he'd, he'd, he'd put the inters on. George stayed out. He basically did the the science gambit. He he stopped for the slick tyres on the same lap as science. Uh, a lap later. Norris came in and Norris came out of the pits just ahead of him. And uh, George literally seized the moment and um, drove straight past him uh, uh, on the way up the hill. A really, really hard place to pass. Let, let's not forget that um, Carlos Sainz failed to do that on Nicholas Latifi, thereby kind of binning, binning the win there, albeit in, in, in slightly different conditions. But George, George was just brilliant there to pass Lando before the McLaren's tyres came up to temperature and he, he he got an extra few points for his efforts
3: Lando Norris only this week I think admitted the full extent of how ill he was for Spain uh, is he f- completely fully recovered now or is no, he still suffering no, from still, tonsillitis
4: yeah he's still struggling a little bit he's not 100% he's most of the way there and I think he will be for Baku but um, yeah he was uh, all weekend like you could tell like he's still yeah struggling a little bit with it and uh, it was only on Saturday that he uh was um, graced, graced the media with his presence once again, because uh, obviously he'd been <laughs> okay. laid off from his media duties for, uh, for a few days to uh, recover. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's good to see that Lando's sort of like on the road to recovery. And I think for Baku, he'll be uh, yeah
3: back to full fitness again. And picking up another nine points, uh, and again, you might apply the same to Mercedes, is that the best that McLaren are going to be hoping for?
4: Yeah, I think so. And Lando said after qualifying that without feeling as sort of rubbish as he did that even more than uh, than P5 that he got on the grid would have been possible but I think that it was um, yeah it was, a, it was a really really good result again I think that the fact that Alonso obviously was so slow that helped open up the gap that basically meant they could go for a free pit stop go for the fastest lap which they successfully got so yeah I think for Lando it was kind of a very fuss free weekend it wasn't of course the podium repeat that we had from Monaco last year but I think it was a really really solid display from him and uh, yeah I think they can be delighted with performance on that side of the McLaren garage less so on the other side of
3: course yeah Lando on those fresh tires finishing uh, two and a half tenths behind George Russell not able to get past him no last lap Lando and even if he could cruise up behind uh, George Russell then getting past in Monaco is another matter let's talk about his teammate Daniel Ricciardo not being once again able to perform this weekend and and not even because he was Finishing behind Ocon couldn't even take advantage of that five second penalty to pick up any kind of points. There's been this week Zach Brown has talked about Daniel Ricciardo in a way that I haven't heard him talk about before. Uh, You know, McLaren clearly have some options, but their first option is Daniel get his head around this car, this setup. It feels like we talk about this most Sunday nights. Uh, What's your reading on the team dynamic there?
4: It does feel like the narrative has changed a little bit there. And it's kind of gone from, we're standing by Daniel, we want to do everything we can to help bring out the best in him and, and take that step forward, to Zach saying, yeah, it's not met our expectations, not met his expectations And confirming to one of our colleagues in the US at the Indy 500 that there are mechanisms within Ricardo's contract where we don't work together anymore and I think that it's kind of you look at the parallels to Monaco last year obviously that was so played up by Drive to Survive in in that early season episode where he was lapped by Lando and obviously didn't quite get as uh, yeah it wasn't quite as terrible as that (laughs) this year but it was um, yeah it's still not a good weekend at all and again you just wonder when is this big breakthrough result going to come and when is the consistency that Lando has going to arrive for Daniel and uh, after the race he was pretty like, yeah he, he was fairly upbeat, he said that when he saw the rain come he thought hey it's a really good opportunity but it was, uh, yeah he just struggled uh, struggled a lot obviously towards the end of that wet tyre stint, Gasly pulled off an absolutely brilliant move on him, um, exiting to back, I thought that was really really fantastic and um, yeah Ricardo said it was just a case of trying to hold on but he just said the pace ultimately wasn't there and um, there's definitely been a shift though and I think that that's going to be one of the big stories now like how can Ricardo bounce back and and try and recover and um, he was asked about uh, an acronym he's got on the back of his helmet uh, FEA which I can't say on this podcast what that stands for (laughs) uh, except that E is for M as in them yes, and uh, AS them. for all and uh, he was asked about that and he said Look, basically I like to put uh, acronyms on my helmet it's the last thing you see before you get in the car like just help pump yourself up and things like that and he said "Look, I had it on my helmet in 2018 as well and I was kind of thinking well 2018 mm. we know how that ended that was a case where he was very frustrated with what was going on at the team that he got to a point where he'd had enough and obviously left Red Bull for Renault and I'm, I'm just wondering like are we starting to see some parallels there like is he getting is the frustration not only on McLaren's side about how Daniel's performing but for Daniel as well about are oh, McLaren giving me the right support and things like that so uh, yeah we'll see I think that's definitely a big storyline to follow but I think if Drive to Survive with McLaren this weekend they're going to have an absolute field day about how it went
3: McLaren has got a few places they could look for other drivers. If you just look at the Indy 500 today and you look at the finishing results there, McLaren competing in IndyCar and Pato Award finishing second, Felix Rosenquist finishing fourth. Uh, it was Chip Ganassi and McLaren finishing the top two teams in the Indy 500 today. And so they could look there. They could look young driver program, but I don't know where McLaren are with that. They could look at other drivers on the Formula One grid. What do you think is more
5: likely? I think they would probably uh give given that the, the F- Formula 1 and IndyCar very much diverged in terms of the technical packages and how they worked. I'm I'm not sure you could actually bolt an IndyCar driver in with the lack of testing you have nowadays and for them to be instantly quick. Um you know they're, they're obviously skilled gifted drivers uh and in, in the case of riding the Indy 500, abnormally brave, because that is a scary track. Um, I'm, I'm just not convinced that you could um, grasp the nuances of a, of, of a sort of 2022 generation F1 car quickly enough, given the lack of track testing opportunities. They would probably, I would say, look to somewhere else in F1. I'm not convinced there's that many people who are out of contract. And also McLaren, as one of its cost-cutting measures... Binned off their uh, young driver program, so that the tank is empty. So you you have to ask yourself when Zach Brown sort of brandishes the carrot as well as the the stick as well as the carrot. Rather, um, what what has he actually got? You know, if, if you're going to enter into a negotiation like that, who who do you plan to replace your driver with?
3: And you look at drivers like Perez that have had a. a, a, a um a revival in their career he's 32 ricardo's 32 years old some parallels there between you know drivers in the ascendancy and those Um, struggling at various points in their career. Okay, let's talk about Fernando Alonso then, an Alpine. Uh, Fernando came home 7th, frustrating Lewis Hamilton behind him in 8th, but can you please tell us why after the restart, uh, because of the Schumacher crash, why he was 3-4 to seconds a lap slower uh, than everyone else, and and created that massive gap to Lando in front, which gave Norris a, a free stop effectively. What was going on there uh, for Alonso. Well, it depends who
4: you want to believe. If you want to believe uh, okay. some of the the conspiracy theorists on Twitter, they'll tell you this was all about paying Lewis back for 2007 and blah blah blah. Oh, was it? And, okay, um, right. I didn't. Know yeah, that. I, I get. Look, I get. I get that. Obviously, there's been previous beef between. Alonso and Lewis and all of that but just um yeah it wasn't down to that at all so Fernando explained it after the race he said basically they under the red flag obviously you get a free choice of tyre you can you can change tyre to another available set and he said that Alpine basically had a decision do we go with the old hards that we'd already used or do we go for a fresh set of mediums and that was a decision a lot of teams were very 50-50 on he went for a fresh set of mediums but at that point they thought they would do another 33 laps and basically Alpine's calculation said these tyres won't last 33 laps so that is why Fernando said like, I'm gonna limit my pace to begin with I'm gonna go really slowly at the start of that stint as you said about three to four seconds a lap slower open up this massive gap to Norris you could Lewis was getting really frustrated over the radio he couldn't do anything to get past Um, yeah he was um, creating this long trainer cast behind I had uh, people in the paddock sending me um, memes comparing Fernando Alonso to Mm -hmm. Yano Trulli of course once his Renault teammate and the Trulli train has became uh, known a thing in Formula 1 but um, yeah and Fernando did that I mean for a long time he sort of saved his tyres and then all of a sudden he popped up with the fastest lap so it was quite obvious how much he had in hand and he was really able to push then And he said that, yeah, once I found out that Ocon, who was uh, back in ninth, had the penalty, I did sort of like try and get a bit more of a move on. But uh, yeah, Fernando was quite, um, quite open about that after the race. And he was said like, oh, well, Lewis is pretty frustrated. And Alonso just went not my problem and it's very very true I think Fernando yeah went from 7th to 7th doesn't really tell the full story of, of his race but um yeah a really I thought a really good performance and good haul of points from, from him that I think Alpine can be pretty pleased with that his best result of the season so far it's been a very up and down start starts of the year for Alonso. not brought a lot of
3: points but I think this is a, a decent step forward for him and uh, keeping Lewis behind who he then dropped so where was Lewis's pace in this? Why couldn't he keep up with an Alpine? Was it tyres? Was it? Did Lewis think, well, I'm not going to be able to overtake? So did he just settle for the eighth? What's your opinion?
5: It's tricky to explain, and um, the, the 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 Mercedes pressers didn't throw any any light on this. Uh, it, and I, I hesitate to say that Lewis had given up, but I, I think in effect he realised that. There was no getting past. So Just cruising was how he described his yeah, pace. Just, just, cru- just cruising? Wow. I think he sort of thought, well, you know, there was no getting past him when he was four seconds a lap off the pace. So there's, the, there's, there's no getting past him now. So who knows? May, mm. Maybe Lewis thought, I'll just back his teammate up into the people behind <laughs> so that his five-second penalty tells. So you know what they say about karma?
3: Well... Uh, Let's talk about that. So, uh, Esteban Ocon finished ninth, classified 12th because uh, of that backing up, which Cotter's just talked about, which meant that with the five-second time penalty applied, uh, Valtteri Bottas finished ninth. Vettel lucked into a point in 10th, Gasly up to 11th, uh, Ocon classified 12th down there. So, uh, let's talk about Bottas. Actually, let's talk a little bit about Alfa Romeo. Um, he'll be pretty happy, uh, I think, I think with ninth from uh, a bit of a result that seemed to come from nowhere and, of course, is a result because of Ocon's uh, penalty. How are you reading Alfa Romeo this weekend?
4: I think we truthfully expected a bit more from them. One of our colleagues, uh, John Noble at motorsport.com, ran an article about how Alfa Romeo could be a dark horse in Monaco given it's uh, Spain sector three times. And there was a moment in uh, Q1 on Saturday when they were 19th and 20th and he pointed at the timing screens and went oh that piece was uh, bang on the money then wasn't it jokingly <laughs> and it's uh, yeah I think for them to come out with two points also they would have wanted a bit more but for Bottas I mean from where he was in qualifying I think that was a, a decent step forward so I think they uh, yeah I think they're seeing this weekend very much as a, an, as an out, a, outlier they're not seeing it as representative any way they've fallen or anything it just uh, yeah the car didn't seem to work as well uh, Grand Monaco, but uh, yeah, I think Bottas another couple of points on the pile. That's that's always good news. Um, Guan Yu-Jo, obviously a very difficult first Monaco F1 race for him, starting uh, at the very back of the grid after he, he couldn't get that lap in qualifying, uh, but he did have this spectacular save coming out of the Oh the yes. he was uh, chasing uh, Yuki Tsunoda, and uh, he said over the radio, well, I need to change my pants. So he came to the media pen, and the first thing I said to him was, have you changed your pants then? And he said, <laughs> "He said, I just... I had to go for it. He said I've been stuck behind for so many laps, and I got a really good run. I had to send it, and I just felt it. And it was quite a scary moment, but I managed to catch it. Uh, Science obviously had a, another big moment as well um, when he, he was tailing Perez at one point. So it was definitely a race of uh, a couple of very big saves. But uh, yeah, not a day I would want to be wearing a white race suit if I was uh, racing for Alfa Romeo. <laughs> and,
5: and you know, you you would forgive uh, Joe for sort of tucking it back in his. Clean pants uh and not trying again after that huge and very scary moment um, but he if, if if you go back and watch the race, he was very very cheeky when when the uh he let the the, the leading group passed he sort of t- he, he sort of latched onto them uh to creep up onto the back of Nicholas Latifi. And for the last couple of laps, he was really pushing uh, Latifi hard for you know what was quite an inconsequential position. So anyone else would have thought twice about sending it again. But to, to give him his credit, he, he, he was ready to have another go. And Sebastian
3: Vettel, uh, because of that uh, Ocon penalty, uh, with a point out of Monaco. And Lance Stroll, his teammates, one of those two drivers alongside Latifi that managed to... Um, have an incident even on the formation lap, such was the treacherous uh, conditions. Uh, one of the fine PR folk from Aston Martin, who I follow online, uh, spinning this as uh, you know as a, a victory, a, a useful points, yes, <laughs> useful uh, performance, and we'll build, we'll build on from from here. But um, when are they going to start to unlock some more pace from that uh, that package then?
4: Ah, why? Wow.
3: <laughs> That's a very good question, though. and I think that they uh, <laughs> even they don't know the yeah, answer.
4: <laughs> it's um, it's yeah. not been. I mean, for all of the green Red Bull comparisons, it's not exactly give them a Red Bull. Uh, red Bull is not giving them wings. Let's say yeah. they won't be able to make a massive step forward. But I uh, know they've. Um, I mean, Seb said, "Say, look, we've sort of been able to learn a lot more about the package, and he said not really unlock much more performance, but we do sort of understand at least what these new parts are doing now, which is good. Um, another point. I mean, we've got to be realistic that Aston Martin are right now in a battle with Williams as to who doesn't finish last and end up with the wooden spoon and I think that they mm. obviously want to take that step forward but Seb's pace was yeah I mean he did well to get through his Q3 end up P10 strolled in fairness he was kept out a very long way on um, on the wet tyres and uh, yeah had he hang on a few more laps then uh, the red flag would have played right into his favour obviously it didn't quite work out like that but it was um, yeah I think Aston look they're, they're, they're slowly making those steps forward but they really. Do need to, um, yeah. They just need to unlock what they can from this package because clearly they're not in a great place at the moment. Um, yeah, scrimping for P10 is not what Lawrence Stroll will want at all. But uh, that's kind of the reality where they are right
5: now. Yeah, it's the second race of the year for them, in effect, with with a new car. So um, they are they are now behind the curve compared with their rivals, having decided to go to a Plan B.
3: Mm. You know, it's all well and good. Being inspired by another design if it indeed yields uh, results like we saw with Racing Point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we we, uh, we expect to see uh, some more from those Aston Martins, as indeed they all do. Now, Pierre Gasly is a driver who uh, took the Inters early. Lap three, I think he went earlier than most on those, and I, I kind of didn't follow his race too closely after that, and so I was surprised to see him, you know, eventually when it all kind of shook out, only finishing... Eleventh, um, I, I feel a bit uh, disappointed for him. He seemed to uh, to to run well early, but all to sort of no results. Really, did either of you catch up with? With Gasly off well, well, the race I'm, I'm
5: going to Ben Anderson. You now oh, well, um, and oh. say that according to my records, he came in at the end of lap two, uh, rather than oh, like,
3: you've, yeah. you've Andersoned
5: me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben Ben always picks me up for uh, failing to say end of lap whatever instead of oh. whatever. So yeah, okay. uh, Just two two laps on the wets, so and they went for inters. Um, that was too early. Um, really, you could tell by the way that car was all over the place, Um then it, it did play into his hands. But he had to do a lot of overtaking. Granted, he did that well. You know, we've we've alluded to that marvellous overtake on Ricardo between Tabac and mm. the swimming pool. But um, he did. He, he left himself with a lot of work to do. Part of that, I think, was down to his poor qualifying position, which you can kind of blame the team for a little bit. He certainly did.
4: Yeah and I think that I think Gasly I think it was it was a really good display I thought from him today. I think the pace of, of the Alpha Tower, he was there all weekend he was uh, I think 7th 6th and 5th in, in practice he ended FP3 and P5 mm. which is why he was so justifiably angry. After qualifying and uh, talking to him after the race, say yeah, it was he was actually in a really good move and um, really good mood. And when I said to him, like, "Oh, that move," on Ricardo like talks through that, he was like, "Yeah, like you just got to get a bit creative and really think about how you're going to plot these moves and everything like that." But um, yeah, I think that even if wasn't any points from today. And I it's, know no, it's not been the best start to the season for him. I think that it's actually, it was actually a really good performance. Um, I'll be intrigued to see what uh, our colleague Alex gives uh, Gasly in the drive ratings because, uh, yeah, ultimately it was that team mess up in quali that, that did screw his weekend. Otherwise he was, uh, yeah, in really good form, I thought. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was just nice to see Pierre, for someone who didn't score any points, actually quite bouncy post-race.
3: I think one of the reasons I was I was paying attention to him earlier on was because he he went he took that gamble was setting good lap times fastest lap at least he pumped in at one at least one fastest lap which was just to give our listeners uh, an, an insight into that track evolution uh, as it dried I think it was like a, at the time it was a one thirty nine and pole lap yesterday was what a one ten or a one eleven so just to give people an insight into the difference from. You know, starting the uh, starting the race to uh, uh, to how the pace uh, was yesterday. But um, who haven't we talked? about? Well, of course, let's talk about Mick Schumacher, um, who caused that uh, that second red flag with a, what looked a very very dramatic accident. Of course, the car behaving, separating as it should do following Grosjean's accident, but doesn't take away a, you know from the fact that visually when you see a car split in two you know it's a real kind of heart in mouth time the tv coverage cut away immediately did all the right things but um uh, but did you get a chance to speak to either of the, the the hash drivers or the team after the race event. Luke spoke to both I of spoke them. to
4: both of them yeah aren't you lucky um, yeah it was uh, it was a very uh, only very briefly to make he was pulled away quite quickly um, but he um, yeah he, he was taken to the medical centre as, uh, as tends to be the case with uh, major accidents like this but he said look I feel I feel okay and he said it was such a, a weird accident he said he reckons he maybe went a, a few centimetres onto a wet patch and caught it and that just absolutely sent the car and it was uh, yeah just one of these things where there was only one line around that if you go off the dry line you're in big trouble and I think Nick just caught a little bit of that with obviously very big consequences but he he was okay which was good he's just said look it's very very annoying obviously this uh, pointless run to start the season is uh, it's not something he wants like he needs to make a big breakthrough and uh, I think the performances have been they've been good points but we do need to see actual points to uh, justify sort of what I guess what he's doing, the progress he's making uh, Sebastian Vettel he was asked about um Mick's accident after the race and he said i i think you guys i like mean the media uh, need to sort of give him a break and stop being so hard on him and it's like yes okay yeah. but- that's a fair thing for you to say, but also it's our job to be critical and to hold people to account and to be be journalists and to be analytical and I think that mm. for mick that yeah it's a it's a, it's a, it is a mistake and it's the kind of thing that you look at and you say, "Look, that cost you a chance to sort of be there when things all shook out but um yeah, so not what Mick would have wanted with kmag i mean me and a lot of other people were like oh wait he's retired like so much was going on through the pit stops it was uh, only a few laps later we actually clocked that he was out of the race but um he was uh, he was so, again, surprisingly upbeat for a driver who just retired from the race. And he said that he, um, he, uh, was, um, he thought that he was in a really good point. He thought that he had the pace to get past Bottas. I mean, Bottas ultimately ended up ninth. So could he have been in the mix for some points? Uh, quite possibly. But, uh, yeah, it was a power unit issue in the end that ended uh, Magnussen's race. and meant that Haas came away without any points today.
3: Yeah, I did the same with Alex Albon. Uh, we haven't talked about Williams yet. I uh, hadn't realized that he had uh, retired on lap 48. Uh, such was the uh, the sort of focus on other things. Uh, and his teammate, Nicholas Latifi, who I mentioned had that early lap one incident, formation lap even, um, in the treacherous conditions coming home. Um, 15th, probably no big Williams talking points coming out this weekend, unless I'm wrong. Probably not. No, there you go. That sums up Williams. Sorry, no, no, that right. might be a bit harsh. I don't know. No, Codders, no, 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 no not at all. I mean, sometimes there's nothing to say about... Well, okay. No, I mean... Well, that was look, it. Oh, what? They, no red hair? No, no red hair. The red
4: oh, hair, like... Yeah, that's not... It's fading. The yeah, red hair maybe, is fading. Yeah, But, uh, yeah, it's the kind of... These are the kind of races that, earlier in the season, Williams were really capitalising on and um, seizing the moment, as uh, the Codders touched on earlier. Uh, mm. But, uh, yeah, they weren't, uh, weren't as able to do that today. Uh, yeah, I think that... I think for Williams, they, again, a bit like Aston Martin, like, where are they going? Like, what more can they get out of this car? But this weekend was quite... It was quite anonymous. Um, Latifi obviously had that crash on the formation lap, and he said a bit, it basically felt like the throttle got stuck, that he just went on, and it was something with the car, not uh, not a mistake on his part. So, uh, yeah, that would be something for Williams to obviously look into. But, um, yeah... These are the kind of races where you would normally think, yep, yeah, they're going to roll the dice and do something with Albon and maybe snare a point, but they weren't really in the picture at
5: all today. Yeah. I mean, it, Albon was, was, was quick at certain points of the race. There there were a couple of bits of the race where he was going purple, but that was because he was running on his own at the back, having you know, committed a few blunders. He's, he went off the track a couple of times. Um, it just looked like a very difficult car to drive. They talk about it lacking downforce. That's, you, know, you sort of say, well, where, where in Monaco do you need downforce? But yeah, the, the, these cars all run high, high downforce packages to to maximise what they have. And the the Williams, that's just not in its in, in the car's skill set, unfortunately. And how many times over the past few years have we said that the Williams is decently quick in a straight line, but lacks that ability to uh, put down performance? Um, with, with, through aerodynamics it's clearly a, some sort of ingrained problem that they that they need to address and and it might even be um, a, a physical issue with you know their wind tunnel facilities their research facilities because they've had a bit of a shake up or a lot of bit of a shake up in their uh, tech organisation for a while we, we could have asked FX de Maison when he bumped into the lift ahead of us after we parked our car the other morning maybe. oh I didn't realise that was him yeah
3: There we go, that's our hour. We move on to somewhere where there won't be uh, those kind of downpours, uh, at least highly unlikely. Air Temp will be uh, mid-20s, you would think, uh, for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. We're heading back to uh, Baku. Of course, we've mentioned already Sergio Perez getting his first win for Red Bull there last year. Uh, Who is the fine, fine team we are sending there to cover things for Autosports and Motorsport.com?
4: We are sending Matt Q Solo Auto sport. Um, I wow. as uh, some of uh, as part of my bids trying and get some kind of work life balance in uh, in this season. I, I won't be in back. It's one of a uh, few races I'm going to be missing. I, I'm seeing Billy Eilish instead, actually, which I'm uh, oh, very nice. looking forward to. But uh, yeah, back. It's uh, it's a good race. though it's kind of a race that I've I'll, I'll given Q plenty of uh, tips. I think he's going to be doing some go casting on a track that I was uh we when we got went there in 2018 uh, the owner of the go-kart track invited a few of us to go and test it before it opened and we got there and found it was massively dangerous lamp posts just left completely un unguarded <laughs> and things like that so we did a few laps and Brilliant. we're like it's nice but mate you've really got to sort yes. this out um yeah no B- B- back who's good fun uh it's a race that always delivers some some uh pretty dramatic moments so uh yeah i'm sure q will be bringing us all of the the the, the uh, analysis from there and uh yeah it would just be i think nice for f1 we're into a part part of the season now where worryingly we don't actually have any more single headers it is all double headers or even the triple header we've got after the summer break so it's pretty relentless from now on so i think for the entire paddock after spain obviously monaco being monaco everyone's gonna be pretty grateful for a week off now uh,
5: to decompress a little bit Cotta's not going to baku you. you can bunk up with q Much as I'd love to return to Baku, I've got to do some last-minute training for the dragon ride in Wales, which happens a week later and for which I've done massively insufficient training. Is this on Zwift or is it in person? This is a real-life thing in Welsh Wales involving, uh, off the top of my head, two and a half thousand metres of climbing and a... uh, uh, 100 miles so of, of, of horizontal distance as the crow flies uh, so that's going to be slightly tough. Hopefully the weather will smile on me. We have been
4: staying on the foot of the uh, the des this weekend in Nice so uh, there's a sign at the bottom of our road actually saying uh, it was part of the route for the, the Grand Depart for the uh, Tour de France in 2020 so hopefully Codders that will have inspired you a little bit. Too. I have been
5: inspired, I did, I did the uh, I think 2016 Monaco Grand Prix, we stayed in Nice and I brought my bicycle with me, but it was it was judged far too impractical to ever do again because it has its own suitcase and um, when you're travelling with three people and you have one taxi and one person has two enormous suitcases it's a rapid way to be unpopular. Uh, but I can say <laughs> that the, the Col des is a delightful climb but only off the top of my head 500 metres. So imagine doing that five times in a row uh, and uh doing uh 100 miles like i say horizontal distance as well it's it's not to be sniffed at
3: well there we go and for any of our listeners wondering where Jess is last seen uh, still at the track we did try and connect with her by the way but it was so loud in the background uh with some sort of pumping uh, house music in the background. We could hear her only just, and so we said, "You know what, Jess? Have the podcast off. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy Monaco." Um, she was working by this. It sounds like I'm, I'm like I've dobbed her in for just <laughs> it, massive it, jolly. That, that
5: that that is the annoying. <laughs> the other annoying thing about the Monaco press room is that you know you are across the road from the Rascas, so they 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 bung the music up to maximum volume about half an hour after the race finishes. So you're trying to finally craft your race report or listen to press conferences with this (laughs) and and some half-wit shouting, come on, Monaco, make some noise every two minutes. That sounded a bit like a cat (laughs) throwing up there.
3: And on that bombshell, thank you very much for listening to another Autosports uh, podcast. And uh, if, if you know somebody who would like to listen to this show, then why not tell them all about it? And you can forward it on and share it with them. And if you'd like to uh, write a little review on Apple Podcasts, you are more than welcome to. Or a star rating uh, helps other people discover this show who might also love hearing us talk about Formula One. We'll be back. Uh, well, I'm sure there'll be a, an indie review in the next couple of days from our fine colleagues in the US and, of course, all the usual Formula One stuff returns in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see
2: you soon.
1: 18 plus.